I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 153. Well, first things first. You're the realist. No, that's so 2013. Um, I don't even know when that came out. And, okay, that did go through my head. No. Shout out to all of our Texas people and everyone who is going through this incredible cold whatever this weather thing is. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Thankfully, we haven't lost power or anything like that. Knock on wood. I know. I saw that um, the Golden Ghouls, that podcast, they like couldn't put an episode out this week because they're in Texas. And yeah. so they couldn't put an episode out. Could I say that again? <laughs> they couldn't put an episode out. But they, I mean, they had no power. They couldn't. <laughs> they couldn't put an episode they out? They could not put an episode out. You know who does get an episode this week and every other week? Well, not every other week. And every single week, in addition to the episodes that come out on the main feed, Patreoners! <laughs> okay. Thank you so much, Rowan K. from the UK. And shout out to your mom for the awesome Christmas present. Colleen O. from New Jersey. Inez E. from Louisiana. Christina G. from Texas. I see you that, and I raise you Allison R. from Texas. Oh, yeah? Well, I have Melanie H. from the UK. <laughs> uh, Katie R. from California. Crystal C. from Washington. Sophia H. from North Carolina. And Coral P. from the UK. A-A-A. UK. I was going to say. Ha! <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> well, that one she knew she rhymed. <laughs> Seriously, thank y'all so freaking much. We are so thankful for y'all. If you would like a shout out, like these awesome people, please go over to www.patreon.com forward slash the APC podcast. I don't know why I have emphasis on some words. We don't know why you do a lot of things. Me either. I just want to say thanks, everybody, because I've seen, well, we've seen in a couple of different groups where people have been looking for new podcasts, and y'all have shouted us out and recommended us in those groups, and we really appreciate that. So thank y'all yes. so much for just spreading this podcast via word of mouth and all of that. We we really do appreciate it, and we see it, so thank you. Yeah, definitely. Okay, let's just jump right in. I debated on how I wanted to do this story. Like, do I just want to start with the person or do I want to start with the crime and then kind of jump back and forth? But I decided that let's just go in chronological order. My story today is on a serial killer by the name of Bobby Joe Long. Let's start with his childhood. So he was born October 14th, 1953. He was born in Canova, West Virginia. His parents were Joe and Luetta Long. And when Bobby was born, he was born with an extra X chromosome. It's a genetic disorder called Klinefelter syndrome. So Bobby was born a male, which the male sex has an XY chromosome. But he had an extra X chromosome. It tends to present with less testosterone, smaller testes. During puberty, it can even cause the development of breasts. So those secondary sex characteristics of a female can begin to develop in a male. When he was very young, his parents ended up divorcing and he moved down to Miami with his mom. His mom worked a lot of jobs and he actually spent a lot of time with his landlord's family. 
but Bobby's mom was kind of in her own world. Like she, she didn't really pay that much attention to him. Don't even with the Bobby's world. Joke. God bless. How did you know? <laughs> How did you know? Because I saw your grin, and I thought about what I said, and I said Bobby and world, and I knew you were picturing a little kid on a tricycle, and you're about to make a joke in an accent. No, I wasn't going to do the accent because I'm really... Terrible at accents, yeah, but that's the don't only you reason. Know? You wanted to. I know really you bad. wanted to. It was really bad. I tried to do the don't you know, but it wasn't even good. We heard you. We know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> don't you know? Um, yes, we do. Thank you. But uh, no, because I was going to say, oh, so she wasn't in Bobby's world and you ruined it. <laughs> I'm just going to be like right up at the mic so you don't know. And I'm just going to have to hide my face. So you just see my eyes like one I would little, still know. You really would because my eyebrow <laughs> would like twitch or something and be like, Donna. God, like she has ESP. <laughs> Like, she doesn't even just say, no, don't say it. Like, no, don't say Bobby's world. Fuck! <laughs> How did you know? <laughs> but then sometimes you say jokes. Like, what is it that you said on that one of the first episodes about putting his dragon in your dungeon? And I'm dead. I would never have thought oh. that was going to come out of your mouth. And I'm literally dead. Yeah. Let me put my hands across my chest and do my normal sign because I'm dead. <laughs> Okay, so his mom, she's in her own world. She's working multiple jobs. She's a single mom. She's just trying to figure it out, but she's also not a very attentive mom. Yes, she's trying to figure it out, but also she got her issues, okay? For example, when Bobby's like right at four years old, they were at the beach one day and she is like off flirting with some guys and isn't paying any attention to him. And he gets pulled in the water by a wave. And he almost drowns. Like, gets, like, unconscious, almost drowns. And that is the first of a string of head injuries. Oh, shit. Yes. Yes. And if you've ever listened to an episode of My Favorite Murder, or, you know, any other thing, you know that a head injury in childhood is pretty freaking common among serial killers. Does it mean you're going to be a serial killer? Absolutely not. People have head injuries all the time. But a lot of serial killers have some sort of head trauma in their past. I wonder if like a mom was like, I knew I shouldn't have dropped him on his head when he was a baby. And then the doctor was like, wait a minute. I think she might be onto something. And then they went and did their own research. No, that's a Donna research. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. Then the very next year, he was swinging and fell from the swing and he hit his head so hard that he was knocked unconscious and a stick skewered his eyelid. Ew. Yeah. Also, stick the landing, bud. He did. In his eyelid. <laughs> no, it stuck him. Well, either way, a stick in the eyelid. Oh, God. I mean, nines all around. Oh, no. Oh. But then things were kind of starting to look up. They went on a couple of trips. <laughs> I was going to say, not, bad him choice for of a, words. not for him for a little bit. <laughs> bad choice of words. <laughs> but they started going back to West Virginia a little bit. His parents started dating a little bit again. But then... He went to first grade and failed. 
failed first grade, which is a very hard year for kids because that's the first year where you're really starting to do a lot of reading. And so it's not, yeah, it's not uncommon for a kid that's going to have difficulty with reading to fail the first grade. I don't know if he had difficulty with reading, but whatever. But that year, he had another head injury. He was riding his bike and he got thrown from his bike and landed being thrown into a parked car. He hit it so hard that he lost consciousness again and a few teeth. Okay, his mama should have taken out way, like, a lot of insurance on him because he is accident prone. Yeah, so we're up to, what, three head injuries Mm -hmm. at this point? Then... Also, wear a helmet. Also, if if you skewered your eyelid doing something, like, be bubble boy. Like, don't do anything. You skewered your eyelid. Well, then, the very next year, he was hit by a car... This time, the bumper hit him on the face. He again was knocked unconscious, and this time he was actually hospitalized for like a couple of days. I wonder how he was hit by the car. I'm not sure, but this time they weren't in Florida. So they had actually moved back to West Virginia because the parents had gotten back together. And so he finished first grade for the second time in West Virginia. So that's what, four head injuries? Mm -hmm. Then, a few months later, he was running and playing and darted in front of a car. Oh my God. Okay, I do not feel sorry for him. This time, again, another head injury and lost some teeth and he got hit so bad, this time it like deformed his jaw. So that's head injury number five. And he still doesn't learn his lesson, so keep going. Okay. Then, I'm glad you said he was a serial killer so I can be mad at him about this because this is annoying. Then, he was riding a pony (sighs) and fell and landed on his head. He had such a bad concussion. He was dizzy and nauseous for weeks. So, this is head injury number six. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. And last but not least, he was climbing a fence and fell and caught himself with his head. Had to get stitches this time. Oh, my god! This was the next year. So, seven head injuries. This was all by the year of 1962. So, he was born in 53. So, he by the time he was 10, he had seven head injuries. That's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Like, honestly, that's ridiculous. Yeah. You know, and it's one thing is, like, he's a kid. He's accident-prone. I mean... Honestly, you could kind of see this happening to any kid. Not the darting in a car. That's just that's just no. stupid. I hate to say that. I shouldn't say that word. That's a terrible word. But that's just bad. I mean, like, don't run through fucking cars. But, I mean, if you have a kid that, like, rides horses, a kid that's active, you live on a farm, you, you know. Yeah, that's fine. However, you've already, the pony shit was after five other times. Yeah, but you're not going to be like, okay. You yeah, the fuck anything. I would. Well, this is why you don't have kids. Mm-hmm. You can't make your kid live in a bubble just because he's had a couple of accidents. Yes, I could, because uh, we'd all be living in that bubble because we couldn't afford it. You couldn't afford the bubble. Glenda would help me. She comes in a bubble. Your mother witch? Mm-hmm. Okay. 
like, honestly, it's like the first one messed up. It's like he has brittle bone syndrome with his head, though. Yeah. Everything happens to his fucking head. Mm-hmm. So it's like, no, you're going to wear a fucking helmet. I could see taking precautions like, okay, you're riding a bike, wear a helmet. You're riding a horse, wear a helmet. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. And the only horse he'd be riding is a fucking mechanical one for 25 fucking cents that he would get from picking up cans. This is why Donna can't have kids, y'all. <laughs> I mean, she don't want them. Thank Jesus. Mm-hmm. Okay, moving on. So, his parents had gotten back together, but it didn't work out. And so, he and his mom moved back to Florida. Well, when they moved back, they ended up living with some of his aunts and cousins, but the house was so crowded that he had to share a bed with his mom. Which, okay, you know, he's 10, but... There's nothing wrong with that. Why are you saying anything about that? There's nothing wrong with that. Well... There's nothing wrong with that. Except there was. Because... He rolled off and hit his head? No. His mom still brought home men to the bed that she shared with him. Well, there's that. While he was in the bed. Well, there's that. That they shared. While he was in the bed. That they shared. Together. One bed. So, his mom's bringing men home. I mean, I'm not... We don't need to paint a picture of that. You get the point. She's bringing men home in the bed that she shares with him while he's literally in the bed. Ew. So he becomes pretty fucking resentful towards his mom. I mean, everything about her. The way she dresses, you know, she dresses provocatively, allegedly. I don't know. I don't know what she wore. Allegedly, she dressed pretty provocatively, and he became resentful towards that. He kind of started verbally abusing her. But she was doing the best that she could as far as making a better life for them financially. She was working two jobs as a bartender and a waitress. And she ended up being able to buy them their own home and getting them out of that crowded apartment. Around that time, he's skipping a lot of school. She's bringing different men home a lot. This is pretty bad. Bobby um, shot their dog in the vagina. What the fuck? And killed it. I hate this dude. He said that his mom gave the dog steak and gave him a hamburger. And so he resented the dog and his mom. And so that's why he killed the dog. Well, that's not... You should not be on the debate team because that doesn't hold up. That's the worst logic ever because the dog has zero control over what it's fed. But okay. Also, you shot it in the vajayjay. Meanwhile, though, he's still sharing a bed with his mom in this new house, even though there's plenty of room, but he's still sharing a bed with her. So it's this weird, it's weird. It's a weird relationship. It's this weird, toxic, cyclical, for lack of a better word, relationship of codependency and hate, like all wrapped into one. It's like he hates her and he resents her. For all the things that she is and how she looks and the things that she does and the men that she has sex with and all these things. But he still sleeps in her bed. He still needs her. He's still this prepubescent, preteen boy that's codependent on her. You know? 
When he's about 13, though, he meets a girl named Cynthia, and they become fast friends. He can confide in her and tell her all the things he hates about his mother, and they end up becoming boyfriend and girlfriend. Like, loses his virginity to her, and even at this point, stops sleeping in his mother's bed. He also started developing breasts as part of his chromosomal disorder, And was getting teased because of it. But he was able to have surgery to remove the extra breast tissue. So I'm sure just given his issues with women, specifically his mother, and her appearance and all of that. Like I just wonder how much his appearance, especially again with the secondary sex characteristics such as the breast. I don't know. I just wonder if it was difficult for him, but also I don't care because he's an asshole, but there was so much going on with him at that time. Could his future have been prevented if they could have reined some of this stuff in back then? I don't know. He was already clearly hurting animals and all the things. And then he started getting into some trouble with the law He started stealing cars and just like, just shit, just started stealing stuff. He dropped out of high school twice. How do you drop out twice? He dropped out and then went back and then was expelled and then was like, I'm not coming back then. Okay. Apparently, if you drop out, you can come back. I don't know. Yeah, that makes no sense to me. Like if I said I dropped out of high school, that meant I dropped out. I guess you can change your mind. I mean, he was only in 10th grade. It's not like he was like, oh, I'm three months away from graduating. I'm going to drop out. You know, he's only in 10th grade. In between his attempts at high school, he was actually accused of rape. But the police released him because they said that the victim was lying. But, wow. of course, a lot of things are like, a.k.a. they just didn't have enough evidence. And so they were like, oh, she's lying. Yeah. I don't know. I literally, That's literally all I know about the case. So I can't say whether she was lying. I can't say whether it was lack of evidence. I don't fucking know. Wouldn't want to be those cops now, though. He ended up enlisted in the Army. And, okay, this is just to tell you, you're going to be like, oh, my fucking God, when I tell you this. How'd he pass the psych exam? Girl, I don't fucking know. But he did get his GED when he was in the Army. But this is what you're going to be like, oh, my fucking God. Just to tell you, like, his impulse control or lack thereof and just his, like, ugh. In one day, he got seven tickets. Motor vehicle tickets. Seven. That's four more than I've gotten in one day. (laughs) See, I pictured, like, got a ticket. Got another ticket. Like, seven separate things. Mm-mm. It's probably all in one thing. You think? See, yeah. I picture he got, like, seven separate moving violations. No. Oh, okay. Well, then that's not that bad. I mean, that sucks. That's a lot. But yeah. I'm like, oh, okay. Because he could have gotten, like, oh, no insurance. No license. No this. No seatbelt. No no. Following too close. Going too slow. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was picturing, like, seven different, like, moving violations. Yeah. Like, oh, got pulled over for speeding. Oh, got pulled over for speeding. Oh, got pulled over for speeding. Yeah. Oh, well, then that's not that big of a deal. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, while he was in the Army, he actually ended up marrying Cynthia. And things were pretty good. He wasn't 
I mean, star husband, but it was it was pretty good. They got each other. I mean, it wasn't a fairy tale, but it was pretty good. All I picture is Cynthia the doll from Rugrats. The thing is, in February of 1974, everything changed for Cynthia. So we know he kind of lived life on the wild side. Well, at first I was like, hello, seven tickets in one day. Like, literally I wrote that down. But then you debunked my seven tickets in one day, so Mm -hmm. there's that. But he got his final head injury. Oh, Lord. He was on a motorcycle, and he was driving so freaking fast when he collided with a car. As soon as he hit the car, he went flying off the motorcycle and hit the ground so hard that it cracked his helmet. He ended up spending months in the hospital, and he was unconscious for days. He should have died. Like, he should have died from that. At one point, they were even thinking about amputating one of his legs. Like, he was really injured from this. But with this head injury, he really started having some of the personality changes that some people have with a serious traumatic brain injury. He had an increased sex drive. So when he was in the hospital, the nurses would walk in and he would just be masturbating in the bed five and six times a day. The nurse would just fucking walk into him masturbating. After he finally got out of the hospital is when things at home took a turn for Cynthia. He had all of this pent-up sexual energy that he took out on her. He forced her to have sex with him multiple times a day and started physically abusing her. Mm. Eventually, he and Cynthia had two children, a son and a daughter, I'm not going to go in. They've moved a couple of times, blah, 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 blah. We don't care. Change jobs, blah, 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 blah. But he was arrested once for battery against a woman, and that was him physically abusing Cynthia. And it was bad for her, the abuse. And again, let's call it what it was. He was raping her. He was forcing her to have yeah. sex with him. I mean, just because you're married does not make it not rape. It was right. fucking rape. Yeah. One day, he beat Cynthia so badly that it ended up putting her in the hospital. Gosh. And at that point, she was like, I'm fucking done. I'm done. When she got out of the hospital, she went back home. And when he was asleep, she went and loaded a double barrel shotgun. She just sat beside the bed with the shotgun pointed at his head all night long. Oh, my gosh. She thought about the kids, and she just knew that if she pulled the trigger, she would go to jail, and then the kids would be without a father and a mother. And so she just couldn't bring herself to pull the trigger. Morning comes, and his alarm goes off, and she's still sitting there, holding the gun, pointing it at him. And he wakes up, sees the gun, looks at her, and says, you don't have the guts to do it. And you can call it guts, you can call it logic, you can call it whatever the fuck you want to do it. But she didn't pull the trigger. But she did file for a divorce. She got full custody of the kids, and they went their separate ways. They still kind of remained friends, though. Like, later on, they still talked to each other on the phone and all. So it wasn't like, I mean, it was it was bad because he beat her. and mm-hmm. that was But that was the last time that he ever hurt her. After he and Cynthia get divorced, 
He ends up moving into an apartment in Fort Lauderdale with Susan Replogle and a guy named Ted Jensel. Not long after they moved in together, Susan said that Bobby raped her because he had gone from having this insatiable sex drive after his traumatic brain injury and forcing, raping Cynthia to then having no one and took it out on Susan. The police said that there was not enough evidence to prosecute him. Sounds familiar. This is 1981, so there's that. Two weeks after that, Susan said that Bobby pushed her down the stairs. Ooh. So she filed assault charges on him. So he ended up being charged with like a misdemeanor battery charge. When all that was happening, he was also charged with and pled no contest to sending obscene material to a 12-year-old girl in Tampa. Wow. Yes. But the police had evidence like of phone calls that traced back to him. During all of this, he moved back to West Virginia and he was working at this VA. He was an x-ray technician at this point. He had gone back to school, blah, 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 blah. Well, he got fired because he was making women undress like unnecessarily. Oh my gosh. For their x-rays. That's fucking disgusting. Yes. Anyway, he moved back to Brandon in Florida, which is like right is Tampa. Bobby was found guilty of the battery charges and sentenced to probation of, on Susan. But he fucking, this was in a case and I could not remember which one it was. And I was like, God, and I was like, damn it. I wish I could remember which one who did this. But somebody I've covered did this fucking wrote letters over and over and over and over and over to the judge And the judge awarded him a new trial, and then they ended up saying there wasn't enough evidence, and he was acquitted of the assault charges on Susan. Wow. But he was sentenced, because he pled no contest to the 12-year-old, like, sending the obscene stuff. And so he was sentenced to two days in jail plus probation. Oh, okay. Mm Mm-hmm. You know what? You should have told everyone that he was sending lewd shit to a 12-year-old, and they would have handled him. Well, then that's where things take an even more sinister turn. On March 6, 1984, Bobby responded to a classified ad from a lady in Newport Ritchie, Florida. The ad was to sell a house, and what he did was he went, toured the house, and then pulled a gun out forced the woman who was showing the house into the bedroom where he raped her and stole all of her jewelry. This was the first of over 50 rapes. Holy crap. That is what gave Bobby the moniker of the classified ads rapist. Ooh. So he would respond to classified ads for many different things. And then... When he would get there, if it was just a female, he would pull a gun, pull a knife, whatever, sometimes tie them up like BTK style and rape them, steal their jewelry, steal whatever. Yeah. And then leave. But if there was a man there, 
he would be like, oh, well, yeah, I'm not really interested in that, and then just leave. Yeah. Well, he had a girlfriend at the time, and he would give his girlfriend some of that jewelry, like, oh, look what I got you, babe. Mm-mm. It was someone's jewelry that he stole that he fucking raped. Oh, I was watching an episode of one of the crime shows I watch. Who knows which one? But it was like that. One mm-hmm. of the, you know, it always is. It's, you know, one of their trophies they would give to their spouse. And it's like, that's how they figured out. Because it was like, oh, wait, what about this? And it's like, oh, yeah, he's given that to me the whole time we dated. And now we've been married. And. You know, he gives it to me, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, he no, he stole that from a person he raped and tortured and killed. Yes. yes. And you thought that was sweet. And well, not it's blaming not their her. Fault. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like, that would make me so sick. And it made that person on the TV show sick, too. You know what yeah. I mean? And I mean, it, like, instantly puke. Yes. Oh, gosh. He would also pawn some of it because he, like, quit his job. Like, it was like he made this, like, a fucking... Career, I don't know. He yeah. just is a piece of shit. Because he became consumed with... Fulfilling those mm-hmm. sexual desires that he had. Yeah. Well, then, in April of 1984, there was a lady named Mary Hicks. And she was at a... I don't know. Some, well, I'm making this place up because I can't remember exactly where it was. But she was at the grocery store. Wherever she was. And she drove a Jaguar. And so she always kind of parked away from everybody because it was a Jaguar. She didn't want it to get like banged up or whatever. When she came out of the store, whatever store it was, she noticed that there was a guy standing by her car. And again, she drives a nice Jaguar. So she's used to that of guys being like, oh. (laughs) And then when they see a girl driving it, they're like, oh, I know more about this car than she does when it's never the case. She always knows more about the car, you know, and so it's always a thing. Sometimes they want to ride in it just to kind of get a feel for it, you know, yeah, what have you. So she walks up there. He's checking the car out. He's chatting her up. They're talking about the car, blah, 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 blah. He ends up asking for a ride in it. She gets a normal feel from him, though. You know, it's not, nothing seems out of the ordinary. So she's like, sure, absolutely. We'll go for a spin around the block. Hop in. When they get in the car, they get it cranked up. They start down the road. Bobby pulls a gun out on Mary. He tells her to drive. He's going to tell her, you know, where to go. And she's like, fuck this. And she crashes the Jaguar into a pole. She gets off and takes off fucking running. Yes. Well, he ends up getting arrested. Because he hit his head. He got knocked out and he was in the hospital for five days. You'd think. But no, this time (laughs) his head was fucking fine. (laughs) But basically, he gets arrested for attempted kidnapping, and he gets three years probation. Oh, my gosh. Uh, you could be out, and you could try to kidnap again for three years. And he has to pay for the damages of her car. With a job he doesn't have. Three years probation for fucking attempted kidnapping. He pulled a gun on <laughs> this woman and attempted to kidnap her. Like, she would have been... Mm-hmm. kidnapped and raped had she not well she was kidnapped she not attempted kidnapped she was fucking kidnapped yes he had a gun on her and was telling her where to go that's yeah. kidnapping she just crashed a fucking car and yeah. that's why she got away she outwitted him like wow fucking she three years probation. that fucking car she sure shit did she said i love this car but uh-huh. i'm older i have more insurance well 
right after that, his girlfriend, he found out, was having an affair. There's no good women out there is what he told his mom. Blah, oh blah, blah, God. blah, blah. Then on May 4th, 1984, Bobby picks up June Thai Long, who also went by Lana or Peggy. So he picked June up in Tampa off of Nebraska Avenue. So Nebraska Avenue is kind of a known spot for sex workers, clubs for exotic dancers, that sort of thing. She was 20 years old and had just quit her job as an exotic dancer. She was walking down the street when Bobby drove up beside her and offered her a ride. She said yes, and when she got in the car, Bobby pulled a gun out, forced her onto her stomach, made her take all of her clothes off, and tied her hands behind her back. He took her to a wooded area, got her out of the car, raped her, and then basically beat her and then strangled her to death with a piece of rope. He left her body there in the woods, completely nude, with her legs spread wide open. Her body was later found by some kids on Mother's Day. When they found her body, they knew that she had been dead for about 48 to 72 hours. Like I said, she was laying face down with her arms tied behind her back still with rope and the rope around her neck was almost like a leash, they said. They found some fabric underneath her face that they thought may have been used as a gag. And that, like I said, her legs were spread open over five feet wide. Holy shit. So she was placed that way in a, she was placed that way to be as degrading as possible. Yeah. Her clothes weren't found, but it's thought that he just like randomly threw them out of his car as he drove off. There wasn't a lot of forensics there because of decomposition, because it's May in Tampa, Florida, so it's fucking hot. And she'd been out there for 48 to 72 hours. But what police did find was some red fibers that they knew were from the carpet of a car and some tire impressions But the tire impressions were unique because they knew that it was from two different tires. Like, the front two tires were two different tires. Like, one was Goodyear, one was Michelin. Yeah. You know. Then, May 27th of 84, the body of 22-year-old Michelle Simmons was found. Michelle was a sex worker who had a substance abuse problem She was last seen walking on Kennedy Avenue in Tampa, and Bobby, same thing, Bobby pulled up, offered a ride, she gets in. Again, he's offering as a a John at this point. She gets in, and same thing, forces her to undress, ties her hands behind her back, drives off into a secluded area, gets her out of the car, rapes her. But with Michelle, he tries to strangle her, but she put up too much of a fight. So he had to get a knife and ended up slitting her throat numerous times. 
When her body was found, she was actually laying on her back and her hands were bound at her waist. And she had the ligature around her neck. She had multiple blunt force traumas to the head. And they think that she had only been there for eight to 10 hours. Wow. Holy. Was she spread wide too or no? Not that I saw, but her bloody clothes were hanging in a tree nearby. And with this crime scene, just like the last, they had those same trilobal red fibers and they had the same tire pattern. So they knew at this point, Tampa had a serial killer. God. When police are working the case for Michelle's disappearance, you know, they know that she was last seen on Kennedy Boulevard working as a sex worker, and they know that she was last seen talking to two white males. But really, that's all they had. There was nothing. And that's the thing is that, you know, again, Bobby chose the victims that he chose because it was women who he thought would be, quote unquote, less missed or lived a more transient lifestyle, blah, 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 blah. You listen to True Crime Podcast. You watch True Crime shit. We know the same shit ridiculous you know what not saying that i'm glad that they target those people but i'm really glad that that sheds a light on hey there's a problem here and now y'all have to like focus on these people Mm -hmm. and everyone is important yes you know what i mean the police played themselves kind of yeah then just june 8th 1984 22-year-old Elizabeth Loudenbach, who actually was not a sex worker, she was a solderer at a manufacturing plant, and she lived with her parents and some siblings in this mobile home park just a couple of blocks from Nebraska Avenue. So she was out walking when he picked her up. And again, same thing. But this time, he savagely sodomized her. He's just escalating. But this time, he found her ATM card and her PIN number in her wallet. So after he killed her, he took her card and went and got money out of her account. So at first, because this presented initially so different than the other murders that police at first were like, well, this can't, this has got to be somebody else because an ATM card used sodomy, the hands aren't tied behind the back. You know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't look the same, but then the forensics came back and the trilobal red nylon threads from the car were there. And so were the tire treads. By the time that they found Elizabeth's body, she was so badly decomposed that her whole body, including her clothes, only weighed 25 pounds. What? Mm -hmm. And the rope was still around her neck. That's so sad. Yep. Then on September 30th, 1984... Chanel Devon Williams was walking down the street and she had only been out of Hillsborough County Jail for like days. 
And when he picked her up, she was like, I'm not what you think I am. Like, I'm like saying she's not a sex worker. Although some stuff said she had a history of being a sex worker. But she's like, I'm not what you think I am. But he picked her up to take her home. And when he picked her up, he savagely beat her in while he's driving and she's in the front seat, forced her to undress, tied her hands behind her back, forced her to lay on her stomach, and then beat her again. So after he does all that, he pulls over on this like kind of secluded area, rapes her, like still in the car, which is not his normal. Like he usually takes him out and rapes him. No, he rapes her still in the car, then pulls her out of the car, tries to strangle her, but she is putting up a serious fight. So he then pulls out his gun and shoots her in the back of the head. Then he just pushes her body under this wire fence. When he drives away, he takes her clothes and he throws them from the car. And her underwear and bra land on the gate's entrance. He's such a fucking weak incel. He can't even... Like, put up when they put up a fight, he can't even kill them. He has to rely on a weapon. He can't even do it with his own hands in because he's so fucking weak. Yeah. It's like, okay, dude. This one, again, other than the fact that she was a sex worker, because when police were doing their investigating, there was another sex worker that said that they were working together and that she had seen her get into the car with a John. So according to another sex worker, they were both working that night as sex workers. So police were like, is this the same person? Because other than it being a sex worker and being in a rural area, it wasn't the same. You know, she was shot. There wasn't all the same things, you know, but forensically she was linked. I don't know why they're scratching their head when it's like, well, it's not the same. Yeah, he's escalating. Well, but if you think about it too, though, so all of the women were sex workers, except for Elizabeth. Which he thought she was because she was lived. walking in that area. Uh-huh. But they're all so different. So they're all kind of that early 20s-ish, you know, let's just say like 18 to 26, basically. And they're all... Like five two to five six, but Chanel is African American, and June is Asian. The rest were Caucasian, so there's no consistency with race. But that doesn't have to matter. But when you look at serial killers, they tend to kill within their race or ethnicity. So kind of when you're looking at victimology, Sometimes. yes, yes. But here's the thing with Chanel's death. I heard this on a podcast called, well, Serial Killers, but I didn't see this in any articles, but they said this. They said that when he killed Chanel, he wasn't intended on killing anybody that day. He had to like run to the store for something. He had like a lean cuisine in the oven and ran out to go get milk or something and saw her and was like, gotta have her. Killed her and like came back to a burning lean cuisine in the oven so she was a more of a spur of the moment decision versus the others. So that could be part of the reason why hers was a little bit different, but the forensics was there to link them. Yeah. 
So after Chanel. I just think she was a like a badder bitch because uh, she had just got out of fucking jail. Like, come at me, bro. Then 28-year-old Karen Beth Den's friend, who was a, a known sex worker with a history of substance abuse, was working on the Nebraska Avenue area when the exact same thing. She gets in his car, makes her undress, bounds her, rapes her, drives to an orange grove, strangles her, rapes her again. But this time, he hears something before he, like, dumps the body. He hears some dogs barking. And so he waits with the body in the car for a long time. He wraps it in a beach blanket, shoves her in the trunk, and drives to another area before dumping the body. And so this, again, was a little bit different from his normal pattern. But right away, detectives knew that it was linked because the ligatures were the signature. They were exactly the same. Same thing. The red fibers were there. All the things. Then, on October 31st, 1984, the body of 22-year-old Kimberly Hops was found. But her body was mummified. They said that she had been dead for three weeks. But her body basically was preserved in a patch of mud. No clothing, ligatures, or any types of physical evidence at the scene. But basically, because the body was nude and exposed to the elements and all, there was there was no hairs, fibers, semen, or anything else. But then, on November 3rd, 1984, 17-year-old Lisa McVeigh was coming home from work. She was riding her bike, and a co-worker had offered to take her home from work, but she was like, no, because she only lived like three miles away, and she's like, I got my bike, I'm fine. She rode her bike past this church, and usually the church was empty because it was really late at night, and there was a car sitting there, and so she's like, well, that's weird, and was kind of like looking over her shoulder like, well, that's, you know, weird. Well, whose car is that? You know, just kind of looking at it, when all of a sudden, an arm clotheslines her and pulls her off of that bike and puts a gun to her head. They grab her by the hair, pull her into their car, and begin to drive away. And it's Bobby. And little does she know, she's been kidnapped by one of the most prolific serial killers Tampa's ever seen. So Lisa McVeigh has had a terrible childhood. She's only 17. She'd bounced in and out of foster care from living with her parents to foster care. She had been sexually abused everywhere she went. She had lived with her grandma, and her grandma's boyfriend would put a gun to her head and rape her for three years. Wow. And before she had gone to work that day, she had written a suicide note. She was going home to die by suicide. Wow. When she was kidnapped. Wow. But when she was kidnapped by Bobby, something sparked in her. And she just had this desire to survive. She's like, I don't want to die. And she's like, I'm going to survive through this. And if I don't, 
I'm going to make sure that they find whoever did this to me. So as they were driving, Bobby forced Lisa to give him oral sex while he's driving. He took her to his apartment and raped her over and over and over again. But then he would have moments where he would kind of treat her like a girlfriend. Like he took her to the bathroom and made her shower and then would, you know, tell her how pretty she was. But then he would rape her. But then he would like make her a sandwich because she must be hungry. Yeah. You know, but then he would like dry her hair and fix it. And, you know, it was bizarre. But the whole time he had the gun right there to remind her who was in charge and that if she tried to escape, he was going to kill her. He had her blindfolded the whole time so that she couldn't see who he was, where she was, but she could see little bits through the blindfold. So she tried to memorize everything. She tried to memorize what the car looked like. She tried to remember how many steps that she went up to get to the apartment. She tried to remember what the handle felt like. At one point when he was trying to pretend like she was his girlfriend, he put her hands on his face. So she tried to feel around for any distinguishable characteristics so that she could try to remember what he looked like based on touch. Yeah. Also, random question. You're going to be like, Donna, again, with your fucking things. But you said he had the gun right there. All the time to remind her. Did he like touch her with it or what? Because yes. she's blindfolded. Yes. Okay. Just, just yes. Yeah, so he like put it to her head. Okay. Hell, all he had to do would be to like cock it too. Well, if he's drying her hair, come at me again. He kept her in that apartment, raping her over and over again for over twenty six hours. He fell asleep at one point, and she laid there. You know, she could hear him snoring, but she didn't know if those were fake snores or real snores because he was like, you better not fucking try anything because I've got the gun right here. So she didn't know if it was a test or not. And so she just lay there because her survival instincts are kicking in. Like she's doing everything that she can to play along with him. Like, okay, I'll play to be your girlfriend. You know, I'll, this girl's a survivor. Like she doesn't, hasn't survived all that she has survived without knowing how to play him right back. To get through this. Well, at one point, he takes her to the bathroom and he's like, you know, made her shower and all that. But she says that she has to go to the bathroom. She says she has to pee. And she's like, I can't, I can't do it with you standing here. You're like, you you got to give me, you got to give me some privacy. Like, I can't pee with you standing here. And he believed her and like goes out of the bathroom. And as soon as he steps out, she starts putting her fingerprints everywhere all over that bathroom. Because she's like, if I die... People are going to know I was fucking here. Like, puts her fingerprints on everything in that bathroom. But after 26 hours, he finally says, all right, what do I do with you? And she thought it was like a rhetorical question. Like, I don't fucking know, you know? And he's like, no, really, what do I do with you? And she's like, you know, fuck, I don't know what to say, you know? But she's like, I mean, I can be your girlfriend. Like, we can lot of people about how we met like i don't have to tell anybody you know yada 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 because he earlier had been like i wish we had met on different circumstances you know yada 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 but he decides that he's going to take her home and on their way home again blindfolded he says that he wants to stop at the bank 
And so while he's like going up to the ATM, she's kind of like peeking as much as she can through the blindfold. So she's able to tell it's a maroon car. When she could see some of it too, when she was like, what car is that in the parking lot? You know, because it was him of that church. But anyway, it's a maroon car. And she said, oh, because I left this out. She noticed the car too when it was at the church parking lot. She's like, it's got two different tires. Like, that's weird. You know, that was something that stood out to her. But she tried noticing, like, landmarks that what's around the bank. She could see on the dashboard of the car that it said Magnum. So, he drove a Dodge Magnum. And the word Magnum being on the dashboard was unique to a 1978 Dodge Magnum. Like, only that model had the word on the dashboard there. That's some fucking law and order criminal intent fucking shit. Yeah, yeah. He ended up not taking her all the way home, but dropping her off in this parking lot. Fucking gives her a kiss bye and is like, take care. Well, she fucking hauls ass from there. Well, he tells her to wait five minutes, which she does. Yeah. Or whatever. And then hauls fucking ass. Some stuff says she went home first and then went to the police station. Some stuff said she went straight to the police station. She tells police what happened. And they perk up when they hear this car had two tires. And it was like a maroon interior. And then when they do the test on all of her clothes and they find the same trilobal fibers Mm. and they go, holy shit, this is our serial killer. We find who did this to her. We find our serial killer. Yeah. Good for her. Also, I wonder, since she was planning to die by suicide, I wonder what would have happened if he was like, get undressed. Like, I want you to do this or I'm going to kill you. And she'd been like, do it. Like, legit, I was going to do it anyway. Just fucking do it. Like, what he would do, only because he got off on everything else. It wasn't the killing part. Right. You know what I mean? Like, because that all changed. You know what I mean? It was everything leading up to it. So I wonder what would have happened. Like, what? You know? Yeah. I mean, she did the right thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. But, like, I just wonder, like, you know, you want that, like, sliding glass door, whatever it is, like, where you can just see both sides. Like, okay, this is what happened. But if she would have just not had that fight, if that wouldn't have went in and she would have just been like, fuck it. Fuck Kill me. Like, I'm not doing this. Are you fucking kidding me? I'm not sucking your cock because I've had to do it all my fucking life. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just like went the fuck off. He would have been like, wait, what? You know, like, because you know what? She's you, but she's not a fucking serial killer. You know what I mean? She's had a shit life just like you did. But no, hers is fucking worse. Oh, for for sure. Because she had that done to her, not just beside her and everything else. But like, you know what I mean? Like, all this shit that's in your head that there's no good women left because blah, blah, blah. And my, you know, all that. No, that that actually fucking happened to her, you stupid incel little piece of shit. Yeah. And it's like, just to see, you know what I mean? If she like went off on that just to have his reaction of like, wait, what? <laughs> but uh, sorry, I just that just popped in my head. If you want more on Lisa's story, there is actually an I Survived episode where she goes into more detail and it's her telling her story. If you want to watch her episode. Anyway, okay. Shortly after Lisa, November 6, 1984, 
the body of 18-year-old Virginia Johnson was found, dismembered in a field. Police found a skull and an upper torso dressed in a tank top with a shoelace and some fabric twisted around the neck. They found like a heart-shaped pendant around the neck. So at first you're like, wait, what? Like dismemberment? That Whoa, that's a whole nother, wait, what? But the dismemberment was from the elements. It was from mm. animal. Okay, yeah. Whatever that word is, I can't think of. Eating it. Oh, like what's the word I'm looking for? I almost said, uh, it was from the elements and from animals. I wonder if he let her go because she was youngest. I don't know. I don't know. Or like she was the prettiest to him or like, I wonder why that. He had to have reminded her of somebody or something. She had to remind him. Yes. That's what I meant. Strike that reverse. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? <laughs> Okay, then on November 10th, 1984, 21-year-old Kimberly Swan, she was an exotic dancer. So she was driving down the road and was drunk. Bobby pulled up beside her and was like, hey, pull over. She pulls over and Bobby's like, hey, let me give you a ride. Like, you're drunk. Like, let's go get a drink. Let me give you a ride. And she's like, okay. Well, once she gets in the car, though, for some reason... They start arguing, and he doesn't even rape her at that point. He just fucking strangles her and dumps the body. Some stuff said that because she was drunk, she started vomiting, and that's Ooh. why he just, like, strangled her and dumped the body. Ooh. So just two days after that, though, Kimberly Swan's body was found by some highway construction workers. So now police have some more to go on because now they know... It was a 1978 Dodge Magnum, right? And they also know that a general time of when an ATM was used. So they were able to cross-reference Dodge Magnum, 1978 Dodge Magnum owners, with people who used banks, like ATMs, in North Tampa on that day. So they comprised the list, and it had one fucking person, Bobby Joe Long. I wonder if anyone said, oh, that's a long list. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, I did tell Donna earlier, my story's mm -hmm. long. And I said, literally, his last name's long. <laughs> 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 they can't just go arrest him. Like, that's, that's not enough to just fucking arrest him, right? Well, November 15th, 1984, Bobby actually got pulled over because of his car being so similar to what was described by... Lisa. And again, police kind of knew it was him, but they didn't have enough to arrest him. And so they said, hey, we're pulling you over because of this alleged fake robbery. So we're going to take a picture of you and okay, bye, because they can't arrest him. But they got a picture of him. So they put his picture in a lineup and they bring Lisa in and she identifies him. Well, they start surveillance on him. While they're doing all of this, they find the body of 21-year-old Vicki Elliott. And she was murdered two months ago. Not from now, from then. So she had gone missing back in September. She worked at a coffee shop at this Ramada Inn. 
And one day she just didn't come to work. Well, they knew that she was planning on going back to Michigan to like study, be this paramedic, but she was supposed to come to work, you know, and she didn't, she just never showed up. And that was the last time anybody ever saw her until then when they found her body two months later. So eventually police got an arrest warrant. They went to his apartment and they arrested him. There were so many agencies involved in this case because it covered a couple of different counties, Pinellas, Hillsborough, and I can't remember any of the other ones. The FBI was involved. They actually pretty early on gave a profile to the Hillsborough County Police and they were spot on. Like age, dropped out of high school, military experience, divorce, can't hold a job. They had him pegged pretty spot on. So long story short, he <laughs> he was arrested for abduction, kidnapping, involuntary sexual battery of Lisa McVeigh. And while they were interrogating him, he ended up confessing to killing eight women. At first, he only confessed to kidnapping Lisa. But then when they were like, okay, well, if you kidnapped Lisa, you had to have done this other shit because the fibers from the car and your tires from Lisa's also match all this other shit. And he was like, oh, oh, well, um, okay, I did it. You got me. He pled guilty to eight of ten murders. Here's the thing, though, that Vicky's body, they actually did not know that Vicky was one of his victims. So he ended up telling them about Vicky. Dang. And there's another one. So back March 27th of 1984 was actually his first murder. And that was right before he abducted Mary Hicks, the lady with the Jaguar. Yeah. He abducted and killed 20-year-old artist Wick. She was a sex worker, and he picked her up, strangled her, and after he raped her, he was like, didn't really do it for me, and then killed her. So if Mary Hicks had not crashed that Jaguar, she would have been his second murder victim. Wow. Wow. Yeah. He got three years probation. And had to pay $1,500 to fix her car. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. had already killed someone. You know he was like, <laughs> Yeah. Gaston. He didn't sound like a goose, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very gaston goose. So, okay. He ended up getting like 28 life sentences But because Michelle Sims and Virginia Lee Johnson's murders were in a different county. So Virginia Johnson's was in Pasco County. And Michelle Sims was in Hillsborough County too, though. So I'm not sure why hers was separate. I thought it was because hers was in a different county. But I'm I'm clearly wrong about that. But anyway, they were actually tried separately and... He was sentenced to death for both of those murders. Ooh. Location, location, location. So he was one of the longest serving inmates on death row. He was there for like 30 years. Dang. But he was 
well, I'm going to say finally executed by lethal injection on May 23rd, 2019. Wow. 2019. Yes. Yes. And these murders happened in 80, like 84. Wow. So Bobby Joe Long, for sure, 10 victims, 10 murder victims, and over 50 rape victims as like the classified ads rapist. Wow. And when they picked him up and they took him back to the police station and they were interrogating him and he started like confessing and all and they gave him his call, he called Cynthia. Because not long before that, when it broke about them finding one of the bodies, he had just called her when she saw it on the news. She was like, can you believe this? All these bodies in Tampa? And he was like, yeah, you can never be too careful. <laughs> Dang. And so he called her and was like. See, what happened was. It me. Wow. Wow. On a positive note, though, Lisa McVeigh, the survivor who was like fucking amazing and gathered. Literally, literally gathered all of the fucking evidence that led them to convict him. Not only was she at all of the stuff and helped get him convicted and was at his execution, but she went on to become a Hillsborough County Sheriff's deputy. Hell yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. But it just kind of shows you that truly, no matter how low life gets, no matter how deep in your depression and your trauma and your despair that you get, it may get worse before it gets better. Because it did for Lisa. It got way fucking worse. Yeah. But that was the catalyst to completely change her life for what it was meant to be. Yeah. I mean, she was... Heading home to die by suicide. She had written the letter. Wow, that's so wild. And she became this amazing survivor that is a beacon of light and hope for so many people and is now a protector every day in her life as a deputy sheriff. Mm-hmm. You it, know, and yeah. it's like... It truly does show you that no matter again, no matter how low your life gets, there is always hope. Yeah. Thanks for stealing my I survived stuff. Oh. You're welcome. Well, you know, you could still do it. No, we know she survived. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know the title, but cool. <laughs> All right. Well, mine. So it's still February, and apparently I'm all about the love. And we know, tell us all this time. Time as old as rhyme, love basically conquers all. But is it truly a match for evil? Dun, dun, dun. I mean, can ID or Discovery Plus just hire me for those one-liners? Please. I mean, I couldn't do that because, you know, like, Beauty and the Beast would be like, um, ahem. Yeah, Beauty and the Beast specifically. (laughs) Not Disney. (laughs) I mean, Beast, can you call me at home? Because I liked how you ripped that paper. Like, woo, woo. You know, like when he ripped the curtain? No, his painting, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you know that was some tough canvas back then. Mm-hmm. And he was like, oh, never look like that again. Like, give me that anger. Give me that hostility. And then the way he made her waist look so tiny with his big ass hands. I know. Oh, God. 
I know. Do you know how little you would feel next to him? You would be like, oh, I look like a personal pizza. He would cut my third chin so delicately. <laughs> I don't think he'd do it delicately. I think he'd be like, <laughs> give you a nice bruise from it. Oh, yes. especially on your blood thinners. Oh my god! <laughs> 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 oh my god! <clears throat> okay. And I mean, you do like facial hair. I do. But not of my soulmate, because that was not. If y'all did not tune in to that live, I paid $20 to find out who my soulmate would be. Not impressed. Not impressed. People said, he did look like a werewolf, though. But a person playing a werewolf. Taylor Lautner. Yeah. Yeah. Who is attractive, just not your style. He is attractive, just not my style. There was no face tat in sight. Like, what the fuck? All right. Well, this week, I'm talking about three different love stories that are woven together by circumstance, location, and tragedy. I mean, I feel like this is the beginning to a fucking (laughs) rom-com. All I picture is a trailer for a movie with that guy's voice that does them all. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? I I can't do that movie voice, but yeah. You do it. I don't think. And then. I don't know. I can't do it. (laughs) And then. (laughs) Love it. Okay. And then circumstance and all the other things that you said <laughs> interwoven together. That's all I got. Oh, interwoven. That's a good one. Isn't that what you said? I said woven together by. Oh. <laughs> well, interwoven together, isn't that like No, the you same said thing? interwoven. But I said interwoven together. That's like saying oh. interwoven, interwoven. Oh. I don't know. Interwoven bleh. You had me. Yeah, hello? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know words. Okay. All right, we're going to begin with the love story of Hans and Gerda Mueller. Picture it. New Orleans, Louisiana, in the mid to late 1800s. And that's when Hans and Gerda Mueller both left their home of Germany together to immigrate to the U.S. in hopes of a better life. Hans was a skilled butcher, and so soon they opened up a sausage factory and a shop at 725 Ursuline Avenue in New Orleans. That's your fucking sausage factory dream place. I mean, is that a porn? That's where you need to go meet your fucking soulmate. I mean, honestly, I do love, I love sausage and sausage. Sausage. Yeah. (laughs) All around 10 out of 10. This is all about location, location, location. The factory and store were both on the first floor, and the Mueller's residence was upstairs. They became a staple in the neighborhood. Everyone knew them. Cue another Beauty and the Beast reference. Like, think about the opening scene. Everyone saying bonjour, like the whole fucking thing. That was them on this fucking street. They want so much more than this provincial life. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it Sometimes it do be like that. Well... Everyone always remarked how sweet the couple was, how happy they seemed to be, but we all know looks can be deceiving, and they both wanted to have that American dream, but it came at a price, and that price was their marriage. In early 1900, their relationship was at a pivotal point. Their emotional strings were strained behind closed doors because they were both so tired, Well, Gerda suggested that Hans go to the local port and see if there was a German who they could hire to help him out at the store. So they get the aid they need and they help out 
one of their fellow countrymen. However, it wasn't a man who Hans brought back. Whoa. Most accounts of the stories say that Hans hired a much younger, more attractive woman who would help Gerda run the business and run the household as well. Whoa. Yeah. And we've all heard that story a thousand times that a wife helps support her husband, works super hard for his dream. She grows older faster with all of the stress and blah, 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 hardships. And then the husband kind of trades her in for a younger model kind of thing. Insert I fucking roll. Yeah. Well, this is what Hans did. And he eventually crossed that line and started to have a full-fledged affair with this younger woman. And also... Fuck her for coming into their house and doing that too, though. Fuck everybody. I hate, I hate fucking cheaters. Fuck everyone. I hate a cheater too. I mean, I get that everybody's been there in a, in some shape, form, fashion of some something. Yeah. But like grow, move on. Oh, though, you know, Yeah. like they're married. They've been married for so long. Like they have a life. They own a business. They, you know, I mean, yeah. You're destroying them. He's destroying them. Yes. I was going to say, I'm it's not taking, him, but I'm yeah. not putting the blame on the mistress, quote unquote, but she's a willing participant too. Yeah. But he's destroying them too. So please know, I am not blaming just the mistress. Yeah. He has way more responsibility in this than she does. Way more responsibility. But fuck everybody. Oh, yeah. Well, the discreetness had lost its appeal. And so his late nights were getting later. They were getting more often. And he was coming home smelling like her. Gerda was furious. And so she threatened to fire her, get her out of their life. And this is what made Hans snap. There was no way he was going to let Gerda make him get rid of the only good thing in his life. Yeah, right. The only good thing in his life. Mm -hmm. Except for the wife to help you build this motherfucking life. But, you know, fuck you. Right. And like I said, he snapped. And some accounts say that he strangled Gerda, but others say that he grabbed the only thing he had handy, which was a meat cleaver. (gasps) Yeah. They say that he chased her and bashed her to death with the cleaver. But now he's left with a body. No. Yes. He didn't. Yes. And they live on Ursuline Avenue. It's house, 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 house. Like, what do you do with the body? He didn't. Yeah. I mean, what do you do? There's not really a handbook. I mean, there's probably one now, but back then there probably wasn't one. There's literally one. The handbook for the recently deceased. I mean, if you watch (laughs) Beetlejuice, there is literally a handbook. Well, Hans was like, okay, what do I do to help me cover my tracks? And all he knew was meat. He knew meat. He didn't. Mm-hmm. And so he basically treated his now deceased wife like pounds of meat. Oh, my God. Yeah. He dismembered her and then ground her up. And in a pure fried green tomatoes fashion, he served Gerda sausages to his customers for weeks. So while this was going on, the neighbors were kind of sus about Gerda just leaving because that wasn't like her at all. And Hans was more on edge. But, you know, watching people eat your wife probably does that to a person. But uh, did they not notice that it tasted differently? I don't know. I'll go ask some cooks, I know. 
Because I thought you said cooks, like C O O K S. No. And I was like, because we were talking about meat. Yeah. And I was like, no, she said eat your wife. She did not say cooks. She said cucks. Yes, I did. She went there, ladies and gentlemen, and it was fucking hilarious. So anyway, they said sometimes Hans would seem normal, but other times he would seem preoccupied and antsy. Well, maybe that was when he slipped in a piece of uh, gurdy meat. Right? (laughs) Well, Hans didn't just come out and live an open life with his mistress. But they kept things like they were normal. She, quote unquote, worked with him. And he would just tell customers and neighbors that Gerda was either ill or visiting family out of town. And they left well enough alone. He should have said that she left him. Yeah. Because, I mean, eventually, like... She can't just be sick all the time. Like, eventually, you got to be like, she gone. Yeah. That was dumb, Hans. <laughs> well, people even ignored that Hans kind of started to look haggard. Like, he wasn't sleeping that well, you know. But people were just like, all right, we'll mind our own business, you know. Maybe he's taking care of a sick wife. Yeah. But then everything changed one day when a customer walked in and wanted one of those famous Mueller sausages but got more than they bargained for. Because, yeah, the customer left and apparently was noshing on that fucking sausage when his teeth hit against something hard in the sausage, which is basically my nightmare. Please don't tell me it was the ring. Please don't tell me it was it her ring. It was a wedding ring. Shut the fuck up! And we all know who it belonged to. Oh, my God. Yes. So allegedly when this happened, the guy goes to the police and he's like, hey, heads up. My local butcher's wife has been out of town for a bit now. And I almost chipped my like damn tooth on this wedding ring out of their homemade sausage. And, you know, when that sentence or like, I mean, I paraphrased, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Came out of that customer's mouth. You know, they had to fucking throw up because it had to click like. That I've been eating. Gerda. Dirty. Yeah. Like. Oh, my God. I. Secrets oh, in the sauce. Yes. Oh, God. Like, I would be like, holy fuck. And then. Bleh. Oh, God. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, near, near, near. I don't know what that is, but that's the police. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, is she rewinding? What did she do? <laughs> no, it's like, near, near, near. Okay. That's the siren. Near, near. Yeah, see, that's why she does those things. <laughs> what the? did you just do? Near, near, near. I, I get, the only reason why I know what you're doing is because you're doing your hand, hand gesture <laughs> of circles showing the lights going around. Yeah. See, I cheat when I do other shit anyway. Yes. I'm a cheater. <laughs> Silent clues, Donna. Okay. So how about whenever I always go cheater, I say cheater, cheater, pumpkin eater. I had I, a wife that couldn't eat her. Okay. I say that too. You, did you not get that from me? It, but it's had a wife and couldn't keep, keep her. her. Yeah. Or feed her. Mm-hmm. I always say eat her too. We ain't right for that. Yeah, I know. So the police. Mm-hmm. With that sound. They sped over to Hans and Gerda's house. 
And when they arrived, they heard wailing coming from inside. So they entered because they heard someone in distress. Well, they saw Hans hiding in a corner. And he was the one who was screaming and crying. And he was bent down beside a trunk. And between his sobbing, he spoke to the trunk like it was Gerda, like she was alive. But then when they questioned him, he acted surprised. And then he like let out another wail, like, oh my God, this couldn't be. Like, I couldn't have killed the love of my life. I would never do that. But then after the police questioned him some more and, you know, opened the trunk to see the bones that he couldn't grind all the way down, Hans admitted to everything. But he said that it wasn't him who killed Gerda. It was the man, a male spirit who made him kill her. Well, he was found criminally insane and was sent to a mental institution where he spent the rest of his days. But they were not peaceful in any way because he would wail just like he did the night that the police found him. He seemed to constantly be playing a game of hide and seek with an unseen entity. And it's thought to be that man, quote unquote, who... Hans accused of forcing him to murder Gerda. So remember how I said that Hans started to look haggard? Mm -hmm. There was this one night that he was cleaning up and stuff while his, you know, mistress slash helper was cooking dinner. And he heard something coming from the back room and he thought someone had broken in and was like fucking with his meat grinder. Well, he went to investigate what was making that thumping sound? And that's when he saw the apparition of Gerda. And she was climbing out of the sausage vat. Oh. And her head was like horribly mutilated oh. and her apron bloodied. And this was the first night of many sightings of Gerda for Hans. Oh. So he did look haggard because he was losing sleep. And you might think, oh, he's haunting himself because he felt guilty because he murdered her. But nah, bitch, she was seeking revenge. Mm -hmm. Because after all was said and done, the sausage factory and the house was sold. And there were still sightings and weird things that went bump in the night with the new tenants. But all seemed to stop shortly after Hans died by suicide in the asylum. Wow. Yeah. So now on to our second love story, Henry and Teresa Moiti. This also takes place in New Orleans, but this is in the 1920s. However, it's at 715 Ursuline Avenue, just like three doors down from where the Mad Butcher, a.k.a. Hans Mueller, had lived. Henry was 30 years old, Teresa 25, they had three young kids, and they lived with Henry's brother, Joseph, and his wife, Lonnie. Joseph was 35. Lonnie was 28. They all shared a small apartment. So you can see they were all young enough, but in that strange, weird, hard age that if you're struggling, you feel like you haven't achieved everything in life already. You feel like a slacker. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're not where you thought you should be. But at least they had each other, right? I don't know. I didn't have anybody then, so I was just fucking struggling. Same. Henry was a butcher, just like Hans. Mm hmm. But in this love story, Henry wasn't the cheater. It was Teresa who had the wandering eye. 
Well, both Teresa and Lonnie were flirts who didn't just stop at flirting, supposedly. Fuck them too. Both of them, fuck them. Well, and this enraged both brothers. Okay, these are the people they lived with. Yes. Okay. Joseph and Henry, brothers. Lonnie, Teresa, sister-in-laws. Okay. Well, all of this enraged both brothers. They weren't successful as they wanted to be in their professional lives, and now their personal lives are in shambles as well. Even though Henry and Joseph were known to be butchers, they were more so known to be the neighborhood drunks and known to be more unemployed than employed. Yeah. So that kind of added to Lonnie and Teresa kind of resenting the men for not taking care of them and them having to go and get other jobs to help out, also take care of the kids, also do this. And so then they started going out more, like, to Bourbon Street to do more things, you Mm -hmm. know, all of that. And so they took it to the extreme, and then the men did too. It's the 1920s. They want more of a typical nuclear family where they don't have to get the job, blah, blah, blah. Regardless, it doesn't fucking matter. Don't cheat on your fucking spouse. Yep. Well, soon Lonnie couldn't take it anymore, and she forced Joseph to move out to his sister's house, and she stayed in the apartment with Henry, Teresa, and all the kids. But that struck a deep-seated fear in Henry that put things in motion that could not be undone. He knew that Lonnie had influence over Teresa. They were the best of friends and partners in crime, basically. And if Teresa left him, he'd be nothing without her. And he believed that she wouldn't take the kids because she would want to live that carefree lifestyle with Lonnie. So then he would be stuck with kids again. Wait, didn't Lonnie stay in the apartment with the kids? Yeah, they they all have kids. But didn't Lonnie stay in the apartment with them and with the kids? I don't know how many kids Lonnie had. Okay. But she kicked Joseph out. Well, that's what I'm saying. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. His fear is a little unfounded Mm -hmm. because Lonnie kept the kids with them in the apartment and kicked the hubby out. But there's also a man still there, and he was still there at night when they went out. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Oh, but God forbid he have to stay home with his kids. Oh, but I completely agree. And if you're the one that's not working, then, I mean, stands to reason that you would be the one at home with the child. Yeah. So, whatever. But, okay. But don't get me on my soapbox about a fucking parent saying that they have to babysit a kid because that's not fucking fair because I will get on my soapbox and nobody wants that. I, I hate that too. I'm, I'm in the mood to oh. sit down. I'm not in the mood to stand up and climb up <laughs> on some shit. I hate that i really hate that and we all say a parent but we all know who you're talking about well i'm trying to not point fingers Mm -hmm. that pressure became too much and one night henry sat there stewing over this letting scenarios play out over and over in his head and when Teresa came home smelling of alcohol and other men Mm. yeah henry lost control He confronted her, and allegedly, Teresa taunted Henry with a $10 bill, like, in his face, and bragged, like, you see this? I can make more in an hour than you can in a whole fucking week. Holy shit. Yeah. 
So he's like, you know what? Like, okay, okay. You know, so he's like, he is intoxicated. He's riled up. He, you know, he's like not in his right state of mind. She's not in a good place either. He tries to go for a walk, but then he notices that the women had packed up their belongings before they had went out into two little trunks. Not this, but like cedar chest, those kind of trunks, not like a car trunk. Yes. Like 1920s luggage trunks. Yeah. Yeah. Picture Titanic luggage. Yes. Oh my God. I love Titanic. Well, he, you know, he's like, what the hell is this? What's going on? And the women came clean that they were going to leave. And he just kind of shook his head, started drinking again. And the women were like, you know what? They just tended to the kids and then tucked themselves into bed. Like, everyone knew it was going to get bad if they didn't just remove themselves from that situation. Like, let's just go. But this was the final nail in that coffin of suspicion of Teresa Because Henry had been watching her and the manager of their apartment complex, Joseph Caruso, who went by Joe, and he knew that they were having an affair. Henry was pretty sure that started from the time that they had moved in and then escalated to where they would like hang out together like, oh, we're just doing a friendly little stroll or, oh, we're just going on this friendly little streetcar ride, you know, and it's like, what? Mm -hmm. Okay. But then it started to be where they would flirt just outright in the open, exchange glances, steal hugs, pass notes. They were getting more brazen. Well, the idea of Teresa being with Joe was too much. And so as the women and the children slept in bed, Henry paced back and forth, drinking more, growing more angry, And finally deciding on what had to be done. So she said, yeah, I packed a trunk. I'm leaving you. But I'm going to sleep first. Mm -hmm. Well, that's just silly. But if you think about it too, like, who knows? Because again, they had packed and then went out drinking, doing whatever. And then to come home, you know, so maybe they had to do that to go get the courage or whatever. I, I don't know. I'm just saying, you know, and but then this whole thing. So it was just like, I, I have no idea. Yeah, that's weird. That timeline sketch, but go ahead. Mm-hmm. Well, fast forward to the next morning, October 27th, 1927. Their housekeeper found the bodies of Teresa and Lonnie. Mm. Well, just body parts, honestly. <gasps> oh, no. Yeah, the dismembered bodies of two women were found stuffed into the trunks. Oh! Yep, the trunks that they had stuffed their clothes into before. Yeah, no, they were stuffed into them now. Mm. Yeah, Teresa was found in the front room to the right. Lonnie was found in the rear room. And both bodies were quoted as being expertly butchered. And by this, it meant both had been decapitated and their limbs had been amputated. Henry had used a two-foot-long sugar cane knife to dismember their bodies. Also, you said rear room very well. Thank you. (laughs) They also found fingers on the bed that belonged to Teresa. And the coroner said that they had both... Wait, fingers, not fingerprints. Fingers. Fingers. Actual fingers. Actual fingers. Okay. 
And the coroner said that they had both been beaten with a lead billy club before being dismembered. Mm. So soon, word spread, Joseph ended up turning himself in that evening. Because they're like, okay, two women, where's yeah. their husbands? You know, because technically she's still married. Lonnie was still married to Joseph. And where are the kids? Right. Well, he literally had nothing to do with it. He was at his sister's mm-hmm. moping around, being like, you know, I wish I had her back. I wish she loved me, you know. So the police are still looking for Henry. Well, they got word that he was staying at a boarding house just a few miles away. And he was planning to leave the next morning by ship. Sketchy AF. Yes. And so they were like, all right, put out all this information about him. He's got tattoos. He's very hairy. Like, all these things about him. Your dream man. I mean. Put, put him in that sausage factory and it really is your dream man. I mean, hello, Henry. Oh, Henry. That's a, a chocolate bar. <laughs> and she's sliding off her chairs, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I really have been craving sweets lately. Me too. I don't know what the fuck is going on. Oh, me. Oh. Shout out to Karen A., our assistant, non-assistant, for sending us uh, some Valentine's candy that's already gone. I mean, like, two days, a whole bag, gone. Gone. Gone! Was it two days? Three. Well, they found him, because someone was like, uh, there's a man who's hairy, And he has, like, a nude woman tattooed on his arm. This is our guy. And so... Does he make her dance, like, on Pete and Pete? (laughs) I hated that show because one time they shot a booger out of their nose. (laughs) (laughs) I kid you not. You know, I couldn't watch Allie McBeal because the one episode I watched... The guy that was on it, I don't even know his name, but he had the kind of the balding curly hair. Uh, I think he was her boss, maybe. I don't even know. All I know is that in the episode, he picked his nose really bad. Oh, that's so funny. And like, that was what like part of the episode was about. And I could never watch it because he picked his nose. (laughs) (laughs) We got issues. (laughs) Oh, my God. But that was a stupid show, though. Pete and Pete. They're brothers named Pete and Pete. They have a podcast now, I believe. They do. But yeah, they shot it out of their nose. And I swear to God, it looked like Mount Rushmore or some shit like that. I can't remember. I I think it looked like one of them. But it was onto a fucking door handle. It was because of static electricity and shit like that. I don't know. I really don't remember anything about it other than he had the mermaid tattoo on his arm. And he would make it like dance. Yeah, it was like provocative. (laughs) Oh, gosh. All right. So they arrested Henry for making that tattoo dance. Um, But he claimed that there was a man who forced him to participate. Again, a man. However, they kept questioning him. And finally, they got a full confession out of Henry. And he said that he just got really angry over Teresa having an affair with Joe. And he believed that Lonnie, his sister-in-law, was to blame, basically. Like, you know, she left my brother. She was doing this. And if she wouldn't have done any of this... Teresa would have never left him. Exactly. 
just a little tidbit. In Teresa's back, they found a gold wedding ring. That was hers. And it was in her back because she had been slashed with what looked like to be a machete or something, you know, and then he like stuck the ring in her back. And so it's like, I don't know, like a figurative, literal message that the marriage is over. I don't know, maybe that she stabbed him in the back. I don't know. But it's believed that he cut off her fingers to get the wedding band off to do this. Yeah. Well, in March of 1928, Henry was tried by two separate judges for the murders of Teresa and Lonnie. He was sentenced to two concurrent life sentences to be served at Angola. You're doing that hard, hard time. Right. Well, he was a model prisoner and he became a trustee. So with that freedom that he had, August 1944, he escaped. I knew it. Mm -hmm. He was on the run for 20 months, but then he was found and they probably was like, oh, he's making that tattoo dance. So they took him back in and you know what? He actually applied for clemency and... A year later, the Louisiana Pardons Board granted his wish. What? Yes, they did. For the murders or for the escape? He got set free. What? Yes. Yes. So he headed off to California. And, uh, oh, while he was there, he attempted to kill his new love of his life, too. (gasps) Mm Mm-hmm. Of course he did. Yeah, he was staying in a hotel with her. Also, did she not get the memo that he killed the last one? Okay. Right? Yeah. So they're staying in a hotel, and apparently she wanted to spend money on something, and he did not. And so he went to shoot her, or did shoot her, and she got away and was like, I've been shot. Like, my husband's trying to kill me. Whatever. They got him. But he ended up dying in prison of a stroke. What? Yeah. Did the same uh, man force him to do it? Was he still haunted by the same man? Well, it said that the whole time he was first in prison, so this was in Angola, he was frequently overheard talking about that mysterious man entity that told him that he needed to kill and dismember his his wife and sister-in-law. It was all the man's fault. But it never said that about the other one. But he was only alive for a few months. Okay, the last love story. It's a story of John Henry Morgan and Polly Pastore. Again, New Orleans, Louisiana. And this time it's 2002 and it's located at 735 Ursuline Avenue. Yeah, like two doors down from the mad butcher Hans Mueller. Definitely never move into the 1700 block of that street. Right? Never. Right. Well, John and Polly met while working at the Quartermaster, which was like a deli mm-hmm, where fresh meat was sliced up for patrons. Uh-oh. Nope. And never marrying a butcher, a baker, or a candlestick maker. I know, right? <laughs> Thank God Colby's a pipe fitter. And knows how to fit that pipe. And he can't fit me in a pipe, so he can't dispose <laughs> of my body. <laughs> hey, if Mario can fit in a pipe, we can get you in a pipe. 
Well, can Wario? No. <laughs> if Bowser can, you can. How we know that's how he got down there? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, God. Okay. Well, yeah. So you see the theme here. Well, they both led hard lives before meeting. And as a couple, they were known for their drug use and violent fights. But what people didn't know is that one night at work would be the last night they would ever see Polly alive again. The next day, John went into work and looked distraught. And he told them that Polly left, claiming that she was tired of New Orleans and left him and the city to start a new life. The thing is, it's not strange because that's what she had done before. That's how she ended up in New Orleans. So everyone was like, oh, well, that's just Polly being Polly. She didn't even keep in touch with her family much. She hadn't talked to them in over a year or so. However, something happened in August of 2005 that no one saw coming. Hurricane Katrina So it left a lot of shit ruined, and I mean, look, we all know, we all know, and I mean, I'm glossing over here, folks. We didn't come for you. Fuck you. Fuck you. Oh god, that's okay. It left a lot of shit ruined. <laughs> you got me back from your yes. fast car. Yes. Oh my god. Uh, that was funny. So a lot of shit's ruined and a landlady was investigating some damage to some property. Well, this piece of property just happened to be the one where John had lived before with another girlfriend. That landlady knew that both of them had received the $2,000 FEMA money and had fled the city from the hurricane. So she's taking note of everything, and she's like, look, all this shit's nasty, but there is a smell that is beyond nasty, and it's coming from this trunk. Yeah, a trunk. Always a fucking trunk. Mm -hmm. Now I will say, when Katrina hit, so... Dad was an insurance adjuster still. He wasn't retired yet. And, well, I mean, because, you know, he's been retired for like three years. But anyway, he said that when you came up to the top of the Lake Pontchartrain Bridge and started your way down, you could smell, like, the refrigerators and stuff. It was so bad. Ugh. So can you imagine no. if you smelled this over that? He said one time he was in a, uh insured's house and, oh, God. I don't even know how long it had been since somebody had been in that house and they were going around the property with him. And so obviously the refrigerator needed to be replaced. And so they needed the serial number on it. And the guy goes, I think it's on, I think it's on the inside of it. <laughs> Opens. Dad's like, no. yeah, it's oh. And he oh, opened God. it before dad could stop him to be like, no, no, it's okay. We can, it's, it's okay. We could do without it. Oh, Oh, God. And it had been like at the at minimum weeks. Oh God. You know that shit stunk so bad. So bad because it had been nice and sealed. Mm. Oh, you know that stunk. So you know that that fucking trunk stunk and it rhymed. <laughs> oh well, she opened the trunk. Oh no. And she found the mummified remains of a woman. Oh no. Of Polly. 
poor Polly. See, Polly hadn't left. What had happened was Polly really was going to leave New Orleans and leave John. And she told him. So John killed Polly by strangling her with the cord of her curling iron. Oh, shit. Yes. Then disarticulated her arms and legs. Oh. Mm-hmm. So he could stuff her into that trunk. Something about disarticulating the limbs is so much more gruesome to me than dismembering them. Yes. Mm-hmm. I agree. <laughs> well, then this motherfucker moved around the city, toting this trunk with him. Because this was not the same apartment that him and Polly had shared. Because this was not at the Ursuline place. It's at another apartment that he shared with a girlfriend. Did they not? Did the girlfriend not smell it? She did. And he said it was a dead rat that had died in there. And so she's like, well, that stinks. But okay. You know, and just... Kind of believed him and, you know, went on about her business. But again, I think, allegedly, they were kind of the same as him and Polly into drugs. Toxic relationship. Yeah. And so it, you know, I mean, she probably didn't want to press him too hard on the matter. Rock the boat, don't rock the boat, baby. (laughs) Exactly. Well... He left her knowing that the trunk, you know, he's like, well, I'm not going to take this trunk with me when we flee because. Yeah. What you going to do? Take it to a fucking shelter with you? No. Exactly. But he's like, she's going to be taken away from back Katrina. Like all of this shit. I'm going to be free of her. Uh, Yeah. But don't leave her in the fucking house. Take her to the fucking dumpster. Exactly. But he thought. Everything was just going to be destroyed and people wouldn't think of anything. Dumbass. Exactly. Did he not go to disposing of a body 101 night school? (laughs) Apparently not. None of these motherfuckers did. (laughs) Well, when he was arrested, he claimed that a drug dealer killed her. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And he went on to just, he was just one of those cold people When he was on trial and he was convicted in 2009, he just would laugh and he would smile every time he talked about the murder. You know, like, think about the Night Stalker, kind of, how Mm -hmm. he would just, like, play up that, like, oh, you know, hail Satan and, you know, all of that. He just played that up when the cameras were rolling and all of that. Well, he did that with us, with this unusual behavior, But it is said that he started to talk about, look, okay, it wasn't a drug dealer. It was me. But there was this man. It was this male spirit. And he demanded that I basically dismember Polly's body and I stuff her into this trunk. So it goes. There's three stories all on that same block. All dismembered. All stuffed into trunks, basically. All something to do with Delhi. All something to do with leaving and affairs-ish. Mm-hmm. But some sort of, like, ending of a love relationship. Yeah. Do you think it's a curse? Do you think... I don't know. Nothing has happened right now, so far, after this. Well, if for a split second, 
I totally had to Google it because, you know, my memory, it's shit. But at first I was like, what if it's the spirit of the Axeman? Oh, ooh. Because I'm just picturing like a man, a spirit, but I'm yeah. picturing like a hat and like a coat. But yeah. but the Axeman was like 1918 and the first one was in the 1800s, wasn't it? Well, no, in 1900 is when it happened. 1900, okay. So, yeah, it was So, it was could be the spirit of the Axeman. But that was my first, like, what if? But no, it couldn't happen. But what if Hans, his spirit, is the one who inhabited the Axeman? No. I'm just saying. Why'd you have to bring it up? And then shut me down. Well, because when he die. Very true. I don't know. (laughs) Womp womp. But yeah, so what do you think? I don't know. I know that I wouldn't want to live on this street. It'd be interesting to know what was there before all of that was built. Yeah. Well, you know, on Ursuline, there is that convent. And I want to do the whole story about the casket girls and stuff like that that you... Girl, I've been there. I know. I know. But but it's not as like eerie as you think it is but yeah but it's still really cool i mean not that you it's yeah. general you cuz yeah, you yeah, know yeah. about it yeah but yeah it's still so really it's cool it's still though. like new orleans in general is just creepy but then it's like i had no idea about bam 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 this there's literally something on every block every street every corner every something there is a story yeah in that city and that may be the case in every city and we just don't realize it But for sure, I don't know what it is about that city. I don't know what it is. There is some extra special pull. I don't know if it is all of like the spirituality that's there, the amalgamation of all the different cultures with the Catholics and the voodoo and the just everything. Yeah. I don't know. But and just like psychics and just everybody that's there. Yeah. I don't know, but there's some shit that goes down there, man. And there is a lot of spirit activity. Yeah. So I don't know. Those addresses are on the same block. Yeah. It's, you can't deny that there's, now, Psych 101 will teach you that correlation does not imply causation. So just because those three things happen on the same block does not mean that they're related. However, one, okay. Two, coincidence. Three, that's a fucking pattern. With so many different things that are are that are there. And in such a time span between. Yeah. So it's not like, that's a big difference in time apart. Yeah. The first one was, what, 20 years? And then the second one was like 80. Yeah. Then also I just thought about Zach and Addie. He dismembered her body. This is completely different area. But that was around Katrina too. Mm-hmm. Just thought about that. Like, whew. But if you think about, I know with the Katrina fatigue and everybody's like, like everybody who's not from the Southeast is like mega eye roll right now. But if you think about though, Katrina was one of the largest hurricanes ever. So it's this huge force of earth. It's this huge change in pressure in pull of the earth's everything, you know? So how much changed and you still, you know, yeah. I don't know the words. Yeah. I don't know the words I'm trying to say, but yeah. it changed the, could have 
changed like the force field. <laughs> it's not yeah. the word I want to say because this is not a movie, but you get the, I mean, yeah. this is not the Incredibles with the girl with the for- force field. But I mean, I know that even just the freaking pressure change when it's raining outside gives me a fucking migraine. I can't imagine people who are more in tune to the earth as far as, you know, people who are practicing Wiccans or, you know, that kind of thing that are more in touch with the earth that. Yeah. Those natural disasters change things for them. Yeah. And I mean, even I think Michael's told us before when we have a hurricane come in, collect the water to do something with, bathe with it or something. I can't remember. See, this is this is why we need him to say, hey, you got a hurricane coming, collect the water so you can wash your hair with it or whatever yeah. it is. I'm like, thanks, I'll, I'll, I'll remember that. And then I don't. But, you know, just because it's like purifying and it's, you know, it, yeah. it changes things. All that to say, it changes things for the 87th time. No, I I completely agree. I I don't know. I just thought this was so interesting that three different stories, but they all pretty much ended the same. And could you get them? I mean, do we have a description? Like, so it's just a man. But like, what is he? Tall? Is he? Does he wear a hat? I don't know why I picture him with a hat. Like, I'm picturing him as the hat man. No, I could not find a description anywhere. Like, I'm literally pick in my brain. It's the hat man. Yeah. I could not find a description. And so, like, how did this man talk to them? Was it through their dreams? Was it, could they see him? Could they just hear him? Was it the same for each person? Was it different for each person? You know, there's so much more that we need to know. Or it's all shit. Right. And it's a great rumor. And it's a great way to, because old Hans got insanity, because he said a man did it. Yep. And so... Oh, Henry remembered. He was like, oh, man, fucking Hans. Maybe I could do his thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Who knows? I don't know. I don't want to find out, though. I'm not living there. No. I live on St. Charles in one of those million-dollar houses. And I damn sure not in any sausage that comes. Fuck no. Well, first of all, I'm not a big sausage fan. I am. Colby sausage, yes. <laughs> he does grow a good sausage. Don't you do this sausage? <laughs> well, y'all tell us what y'all think. Is this the maybe hat man? You think it's the hat man? I don't think it's the hat man, but you know, like we've talked about before. Do you believe do you believe in life after love? But See, I went, do you believe in magic? <laughs> no, but do you believe that you know there's players put here by like evil forces like the devil or whatever? That are doing, like, evil bidding and, you know, things like Like that. Like manipulation. Yeah. So, was that something? Was there, like, a neighbor who, you know, like, kind of weaved in and out of this? I don't know. But how could it be a neighbor, though, if you've got three separate occurrences, again, with such a time lapse in between? Yeah, but, I mean, that person is possessed by like a demon so like yeah that neighbor true, dies true, true, but true, then true. the demon just goes to a different neighbor yeah, yeah yeah i see what you're saying i'm picking up what you're putting down yeah so it's like is evil i don't know evil is just everywhere and why just these three cases then did or did they just pick them because maybe they were already having trouble in their marriage and so every other single person that lives on that block has a rock solid marriage Mm-hmm. Or were they just particularly susceptible or less resilient to 
the advances of said alleged demon. Right. I don't know. I don't know either. I don't want to find out. I know that. I mean, I want the information, but I don't want to personally right. experience <laughs> yeah. to find out. Yeah. I want to be a third party with I no w- particular interest in the matter. Right. I'm so there. It's insane for the information. Exactly. Not the experience. Mm-hmm. Well, y'all tell us what you think. Definitely. For both stories. The long one. And the other long one, because I wouldn't shut my fucking mouth for either one of them. <laughs> Thank y'all so freaking much for listening. Don't forget to like, review, subscribe, share, follow us on all the social media. And remember. Creep it real. And And don't don't get scared. scared.